Hello everyone, it's Logan from the future again. It's been a while. I'm putting this before the episode because during the initial recording of the episode, my neighbor decided to randomly mow the lawn as well as knock on my door incessantly at random times during our recording. I edited out as much of the noise as possible, but some of that stuff might have gone through. So if you hear some odd noises as you listen to the podcast, do not worry, it's just my neighbor again. With that said, enjoy the episode. How's that for an intro? No, no, no. I got something. <laughs> that. that. How about better? how about something more like this? Ooh. Well, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna continue this game of one up fart. Nah, it's okay. Let's just get right into the episode. <laughs> Hello, everyone. I'm Logan Soan. And I'm Andy Carr. And this is Odd Trilogies with Logan and Andy. And on Odd Trilogies with Logan and Andy, after wonderfully crafted intros like that. We talk about a trio of films that are either tied by number, by thematic elements, or by similar cast and crew, and we talk about the good, the bad, and the weird surrounding them. And first off, we thought we should start off like that because we had, like, what, a 20-minute intro? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We <laughs> got a little, went a little off the rails last week. And so. it happens. There's a lot to talk about, and by the time we're recording this, which we always record live, there hasn't <laughs> been too much that's come out in terms of new trailer stuff, so we thought... yeah. Why not just get into it? Because after last week, we covered, you know, a really fun topic in terms of Fear Street, you know, a trilogy that was coming out as we were doing our trilogy episodes, and the perfect time to do something like that. Well, and your family pizza scandal, we covered that. (laughs) Which, by the time we have been recording this, I have yet to hear any response from them. So thank you, Andy, (laughs) for me just, like, waiting to hear unprompted texts from them about that. They've cut you off from the family. (laughs) And you're better off for it. Oh, man. But uh, today, we wanted to talk about a trilogy that actually, quote-unquote, finished while we were kind of processing to do the Fear Street trilogy. You see, as the last film in the Fear Street trilogy came out on the 16th, there's another film that came out that day that technically makes a trilogy with two others. And so today, we're going to be talking about the theatrical Looney Tunes trilogy. We are going to be talking about 1996 Space Jam, 2003's Looney Tunes back in action. Yeah. It's either 02 yep, or 03. 03, I think. And 2021's Space Jam, A New Legacy. It's going to be and a ride. It's going to be very interesting because one of the weirdest things, it's also kind of funny and sad in the same way that every single one of these films we're going to talk about had Rocky Productions. <laughs> I think Space Jam 2 might have had the least Rocky production only because they fired their director a few months into production. Yeah. And... Well, the the, ro- the rockiest part of Space Jam 2 was just, like, getting the thing started. Oh, absolutely. Because they tried for, like, five years to do... Or five different attempts over the years to, yes. to yeah. come up with something, and then they finally did. And then I guess once mm-hmm. they finally did, it was... At least in comparison to the other smooth sailing. (laughs) I mean, for context, the Looney Tunes, either you know the Looney Tunes or you don't. They are iconic, comedic cartoons. Yeah, we're we're talking Mickey Mouse, Donald Duck. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yes, yes, all those. Yeah. (laughs) But um, 
They were pioneers of animation early on, you know, with pioneers such as Chuck Jones. It's Warner Brothers. Honestly, it's Warner Brothers should be their most, you know, beloved IP at this point. They should treat it as such, even though they don't. And at the time that Space Jam came out, it was almost about 30 years, I believe, and since the last Looney Tunes cartoon, which I believe the last Looney Tunes cartoon was a Bugs Bunny cartoon in the late 60s. And then after that, I think in the 70s, there was a Bugs Bunny Roadrunner movie that was basically a clip show with bugs just tying each one together. <laughs> and then in the 80s, apparently there was supposed to be a Warner Brothers uh, Looney Tunes parody of The Exorcist. And then that didn't go into fruition. I can't imagine And why. then, <laughs> in terms of like a short. Right. And then, you know, for through the 70s and 80s, you don't see much about Looney Tunes until like the prominence of the late 80s and early 90s, we get Cartoon Network. When we get like the Chuck Jones Hour, which for me personally was the first time I had kind of seen Looney Tunes. Yeah, I think the same. Probably. And before Boomerang ever became a thing for Turner, it was Cartoon Network was mainly like Looney Tunes reruns, classic cartoon reruns. And after that, at a certain point in the 90s, there was a iconic commercial called Hair Jordan, where for an Air Jordan sneakers, you have Michael Jordan going up against Bugs Bunny. <laughs> And it was such a fucking hit that Warner Brothers decided, let's do an entire feature film (laughs) surrounding about the Looney Tunes and Michael Jordan playing basketball. And when they came to Jordan to pitch the film, he said no. (laughs) And then they did it again. And he said no. And he said no about four times until he just basically said, okay, if you build me a training facility, basically a court that I can train on on my off time, then I will do it. And so in the film, the final confrontation with the Monstars on that court, that's basically the court they built for Jordan <laughs> yeah. to train before he gets back into the Bulls. Because at this point in Jordan's career... Yeah, it was the summer... Well, it was at the end of a season, but yeah. he was playing baseball at the time. Yeah, and he was going to go from baseball and then transition and train back yeah, into had, the Bulls. Yeah, he had announced he was coming back to the Bulls, but... Mm-hmm. It was the summer before the season started. And so we have, in 1996, we have the titular, the iconic, (laughs) the classic that shouldn't be a classic. The nostalgic. Space Jam. Now, this is going to be interesting because to a certain degree, we have two, uh, two different sides of the spectrum. Whereas with Andy, he didn't grow up with this film. You no. actually, I think you watched it. I saw it in college for the first time. You saw it in college. For the, that yeah, is very unimpressed. That is, I completely understand. Well, as with me, I saw it at the right age to just be entirely indoctrined yeah. in the hype of this film. To the point where watching this with you, there were times where I had to hold back the fact that I knew every single line in each scene. <laughs> because I had seen this film... This film was in heavy rotation even more than Ninja Turtles was when I was a child. Like oh, wow. I have seen this film so many times. And while this shouldn't be a hot take, we need to clarify that just up front, Space Jam is not a good movie. Yeah. <laughs> like the thing it's, about it's this film. It's most important to make that distinction yeah. in the context of the sequel because it's yes. gotten a, a, an overwhelming wave of just shit. From yeah. the people who love the first Space Jam. Yes, and I think and just, while... Sometimes it's good to step back, take some perspective. Yeah, 
watch things through new eyes and uh, go from there. And while I do believe and I do agree that uh, there is more bad in Space Jam 2 than I think in the first Space Jam, at the same time, though, that doesn't mean the first Space Jam does enough to be considered objectively good. It's very fun. Like, if there's anything, if you're watching this film mainly for Jordan, you get a lot of Jordan. You're watching this for the Looney Tunes, you get some Looney Tunes. Like, it really is just, like, at the bare minimum, if you want either of those options, you get a, a decent helping of either. Yeah. And if you're a fan of both, well, then you're best of both worlds. If you're a base basketball fan that also loves the Looney Tunes. Right. But in terms of the actual content in the film, it is hilarious just how downright stupid it is and not in a way that feels like yeah, not, oh it's funny because the looney tunes that, yeah like, not in a goofy wacky way but in like yeah. a kind of a shout out corporate product kind of way yeah this is a this is a this like, is a product placement film no nobody had any idea or nobody had any interest in making a compelling movie they just wanted to make a you know yeah a, something that would put butts in seats and I mean, toys and IP. I don't think anything describes that more than the fact that the director of the live action sequences, Joe Pitka, is the director of the Hair Jordan commercials. Yeah. <laughs> like Joe Pitka yeah. does and does as best as he can with what he's given. I think overall the animation is great for the time being. Yeah. I think the music by James Newton Howard is like really good too. Right. Like, it's surprisingly, like, because I didn't know it was James Newton Howard until we watched it this time around. (laughs) And listening in, it's like, there are some really good musical moments here and there. It's not like it's going to be one of his best scores ever, but there's definitely talent put into the score. And even though, like, most of the Looney Tunes cast, practically all of them are new voices, you have Billy West, who's known for Fry from Futurama as Bugs Bunny, and I believe Elmer Fudd. Mm-hmm. You have fucking D. Bradley Baker, who's known for Appa and Momo, or practically all the clones in Clone <laughs> yeah, Wars, yeah. as Daffy Duck. And you have, like, you know, Bill Farmer, the voice of Goofy. You have Catherine Susie, who plays a new character made for Space Jam that is. <laughs> <sighs> that uh, will go down in history as. The sexiest rabbit alive. Right. Because, of course, that's the only character trait she has is that she's sexy. Well, and a, a huge point of contention for the sequel that they uh, de-sexed her, which I'm not sure I'll ever wrap my head around. But, um, <laughs> yeah, was... she's, she's very provocative in this film. Literally every scene she's in, there is a moment where it looks like was there an ass shot coming? Is she going to pose? Like what? Yeah, they're like constantly were... on the verge of doing something incredibly inappropriate. All never, the time. They never quite yeah. like cross a line, but they're really they're edging. They're edging yeah, like, us. Like Bugs Bugs Bunny's intro into the film is just into the the basketball game is him coming from under the court and bashing in like a rabbit. Yeah. You know, classic Bugs. Daffy comes out to no fanfare, which is hilarious and classic <laughs> Daffy. And then Lola Bunny is given a sexy silhouette where every single male cartoon just starts like, yeah. who, who, who? <laughs> and it's like, what? Right, why are, why are we experiencing the male gaze upon with Looney Tunes child, characters? With, like, with this child's film. Like, yeah, this is a yeah. children's film. And it's like, no wonder so many people were confused about their sexuality <laughs> after seeing a sexy rabbit. You, yeah. What more are you supposed to expect when it's like, getting thrown at you? And, <laughs> 
And it does suck that, like, the voice of Lola Bunny, who's Catherine Susie, who is mainly known for me as Phil and Lil from the Rugrats franchise, it is kind of just astounding just how little she has to do. And just, unfortunately, we will get into A Space Jam 2, how that doesn't change (laughs) as we get into the sequels of the film. Yeah. But for some reason, in case you have literally no idea what this film is and you're just jumping in randomly... This film is basically about the Looney Tunes trying not to get enslaved by aliens to be put on an alien theme park that is failing. And in order to do so, they challenge the aliens to a basketball game. Yeah, basically, Bugs goes and kidnaps Michael Jordan to <laughs> recruit him for the team which so is, that they can beat yeah. the aliens in this challenge and drive back the invasion. Which Looney Tunes land is in the center of the Earth. Which right. is also yeah. established as, I guess, the core of the Earth is just the Looney Tunes. <laughs> yeah. And it is just, as a film, it's extremely enjoyable. It's it's like, it's very easy to see why people have such a fondness for this film. Because it really is just like, it's a tight 90 that yeah. doesn't really stand on any scene long enough to go like, well, hold on. Why? Or even if it does, that's usually when the writing actually makes fun of itself in that regard. Yeah. And, like, I mean, one of the best parts in the whole film is Bill Murray makes a glorious cameo, and Daffy Duck asks him how he got here, and just Bill Murray explains that the producer got him a car and showed up at the game. <laughs> no yeah. explanation. Yeah, no, it's uh, the whole thing. It, it very much benefits from just breezing by. It just kind of flies by. It mm-hmm. doesn't get... I mean, it, it's not really chasing any particular message. Uh, I mean, you can you can besides build buy sneakers, on, yeah, you can build onto it whatever you want. Um, but it's it's a very bare bones story, very stripped down, very just kind of let's throw some gags at you and have Michael mm-hmm. Jordan do some goofy stuff with the with the Looney Tunes and make the kids laugh and call it a day. Um, so it's like you know, as as dumb or as bad or as stiff as it gets at times it's never never slows down enough to really let you be like oh man this is a terrible experience no yeah it's i would say overall if i were to rate the film it'd be a five out of ten but enjoyment wise i probably get like a six or a six and a half enjoyment like i just like i expected to really just like not enjoy rewatching it for like i guess the 50th time for me yeah but i really enjoyed the little intricacies of like they didn't have to actually have a genuine, like a genuinely decent explanation as to why they choose basketball, but it's kind of funny how they go. The aliens are small, they have short limbs, they can't jump real high, We're let's tall. do basketball. Yeah. <laughs> and it's also the fact that like in the designs of all the Monstars, all of them look like the athletes that they steal the talent from, Well, yeah, which is a nice yeah. little design thing too. And whether that was intentional or not, whether it's like... I'm sure it was i feel like it is but it could also be a situation where it's like we're gonna make this one short this one have a big chin like find athletes that kind of fit that vibe yeah although they didn't really uh in terms of like their play styles on the court there's not really much of a translation from like oh this one's charles barkley he plays like charles barkley no it's like if there is there's there's, really subtle stuff like a very loose resemblance and an even looser kind of translation of their their on the court skills yeah, um, and I guess we should also clarify, too, that neither of us are huge NBA fans. Not saying right. basketball's bad or anything like that. We just do not watch. 
that often. Yeah, we're any. just not big <laughs> sports guys. Yeah, I mean, I think there was a time where I was pretty into the NFL and mm-hmm. maybe college football and college basketball, but that time has long passed, and I just watch movies now. Yeah, I mean, when we have time, we just watch movies. Hence. <laughs> What we're doing right now it is this conversation. Well, not right now. We're not well, watching a movie while we record. Like, no. That would be reckless. That would be extremely reckless. And maybe worth a shot sometime. Maybe. Maybe we should try it. <laughs> the Odd Trilogy's commentary track. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, Space Jam as a film has gone down to be a better film than it actually is. At the same time, it is super entertaining. It's also really fun to talk about, like, there are facts where... In terms of during offshoots or in terms of between shooting, they would have pickup games maybe on breaks because Michael would just constantly be practicing. Yeah. And I think at one point it's known that like when he was playing one of those practice games, he would actually constantly just yell, get the fuck off the court if he just keeps like (laughs) dunking on people. Yeah. (laughs) Like he's got super cocky. Because it was the offseason, he would invite like player, like big star players from like oh, all yeah. the other teams who lived in the area or whatever to come mm-hmm. out and play pickup games with him when he was done oh, shooting yeah. for the day and they would he... just they would go hard i mean there's a bit on that in uh the uh, the last dance documentary uh, oh, that God. netflix yes. put out um there's i mean there's a whole episode basically about space jam but um <laughs> but they uh they do they spend a lot of time talking about those pickup games and it just sounds awesome like kind of imagining being there and just watching all these star players just kind of Screw, oh, yeah. screw around on the court there's, after a movie shoot. There's a certain point of time in the NBA where there was a, a section of an environment where when a film wasn't being made, a pickup game with some of the best <laughs> NBA players was happening on the same court they were shooting that film. Yeah. It's it's wild to think about. It's also wild the fact that like just the amount of effort put into the film, the amount of money that was put into the film, and just how like it was a mess to make. And it seems pretty clear that they had issues in terms of making it because Michael just seems so disinterested immediately in the film. And we didn't know if they shot his scenes chronologically, but it feels like it did because... It really feels like his first scene with the Looney Tunes is like he has no idea what he's even trying to do like bugs is kissing him daffy's throwing him in the air like they're checking his brain he's like exploding in certain places it it feels like the director was just giving him very simple notes like okay look surprised now and then shoot (laughs) and then it's like and like later on in the film when they do the actual game it feels very clear that they had very little footage they could probably use of Jordan or Jordan on the court. Yeah. Because, like, there's just moments where, like, the only stuff they have are just him moving. Like, he just wouldn't. <laughs> they don't yeah, have any of him being like, turns static. around or whatever, yeah. Yeah, and, like, he does get better throughout the film in terms of, I mean, let's be clear. Jordan's not an actor. He knows that. He's not good in this movie. Oh, yeah. But it's also, there's a bit of an endearing quality to the fact that he knows that. But he's at least at times when it's supposed to be emotional kind of trying <laughs> and it's like oh good on you like i'm glad this is a thing that's happening right yeah, now at least and... he's not like just visibly perturbed the mm-hmm. entire time but it's a, it's a film that like it does the bare minimum of setups and payoffs in terms of quote-unquote character arcs it's very basic yeah where there's, it's just... there's a healthy healthy amount of i think pretty good gags in there oh yeah the, um, there's some there's, there's some, some fun that stuff don't in work there. as much but honestly i think it's it's funnier more often than it's than mm-hmm. it fails like it succeeds at being funny more often than it fails yeah um bugs's intro is a... great the uh 
the town hall with all the Looney Tunes is really fun. Yeah. Um, what I'm gonna say, Spit Shine is the one that like just feels the most loony out of all of them, <laughs> where they have a dirty gym and they all decide to spit everywhere to shine it up, <laughs> you and just then get Taz the entire just, cast just spitting on the gym floor, and they just like all these Looney Tunes are spitting on the floor and. It becomes perfectly clean, and it's like, okay. I mean, that's what it is. <laughs> Which it, seems kind of... I mean, it, it it's ultimately pretty tame, but it just, in concept, sounds a lot more, like, gross-out humor than you expect from Looney Tunes. <laughs> like, when they started spitting, I was like, oh, the Looney Tunes are just spitting everywhere. <laughs> yeah. And it's kind of gross, but it's funny, like... <laughs> And it's just it's just super goofy, and Michael Jordan looks probably like we do. Yeah, and the, and the worst the worst animation that's aged oh. like milk. I mean, Wayne Knight getting inflated is definitely rough. That one's bad. But the worst for sure is when the Monstars turn Michael Jordan into a basketball. That's nightmare fuel. That is truly the fact that the CG fake Jordan is looking at the camera yeah, and his is mouth screaming. Is <laughs> He's like just... screaming with his mouth open. It's like, what well, the, the yeah, fuck? The, the ball, ball CGI Jordan looks kind of so over the top expressive wise, but the noise coming out of its mouth is Michael Jordan in a sound booth somewhere just going, ah. It wouldn't surprise me so if it even was really, him. Oh yeah. So it's this really kind of horrifying contrast of like, it's like this, mm-hmm. I don't even want to give it the credit of being the uncanny valley because it's so far off from realism, but mm-hmm. it's and, just terrifying. But you know what's crazy though? The soundtrack slaps in the right places at times. Yeah. Like, I think Quad City DJs' Space Jam, Come On and Slam, is always going to be great. <laughs> I know, I mean, he's a controversial figure, but R. Kelly's I Believe I Can Fly is <laughs> iconic and, 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 and is made for this film, basically. Well, you have a hot take about uh, oh, I do. C- uh, Seals. I, I feel like it really shouldn't be that hot of a take, but I, I love Seals' cover of Fly Like an Eagle as much as the original <laughs> Steve Miller version. And I love Steve Miller Band's like greatest hits. I've seen, I've heard them all the time. But like, for some reason, when I hear Seals cover, and it definitely has a nostalgic quality to it, I can just see the 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 credits to Space Jam <laughs> as it like like goes through the entire film and like stills and vignettes. And yeah, it just really calms me. <laughs> and when <laughs> I hear this, something soothing about yeah, it, and I could Seals voice, I could definitely yeah, Seals have got a gorgeous voice. Yeah, but it's just. It feels like the perfect 90s version of that song, but doesn't feel so dated that you couldn't listen to it yeah. 20 to it's, 30 it's years not, like now. Yeah, it's not super of the era, and it's also not super, like, it's not drastically different from the original, so it's like, no, it's not like it's going to offend people. Um, but I think it's funny, too, talking about Space Jam, just like, how many people still hold the original film to such high standard? Yeah. Like, I mean, listen, if you still like the film and you've watched it recently, honestly, good for you. I still enjoy the shit out of it, too. I just also know that, like, as a film, there are a lot of things that was like, it's not like, we're not going to say, oh, it's a kid's film, it's fine. No, there are genuinely, like, (laughs) some really dumb logic things and also some bad acting here and there. And overall, like, I, (laughs) I bring this up, too, because I remember telling my girlfriend that we were going to do this, and I told her, like, yeah, I mean, Space Jam's not really that good of a movie. And she looked like I told her 
that the world was going to end. Like she <laughs> sounded so gin. She's like, yeah, people are very sensitive yeah. about space, Jane. And I didn't expect her to feel that way. Yeah. And I wasn't trying. I wasn't saying that you're like you're dumb if you like this movie. You're not. But like, she was just like. Don't don't say that about Space Jam. Don't do that for me. Yeah. <laughs> like, what are you talking about? It's a Space Jam. It's a kids movie. It she's is like, yeah. stop it. It is funny because like, pe- people do get very defensive about Space Jam, and I feel like, you know, maybe maybe it's maybe it's just in my sphere, but um, it certainly feels like people our age, the majority opinion is, you know, kind of this fondness for Space Jam. Yeah. Um, so it's interesting because it feels like if you ever are like, yeah, Space Jam's not good, or eh, I don't like it, or forget about it, you yeah. know, people you're recoil like very quickly as if they're kind of like used to being the minority on the matter. And it's like, what are you talking about? Like, you and everybody else agree that it's that you you know you love it. So why are you? Yeah. Why are you acting like I'm attacking you for like <laughs> it kills kind of crap? Synergy wise, it kills. You have. Sports fans, animation fans, and just kids who are fans of either just like going to see this yeah. film because it's like the, the return of Michael going back into the NBA is like at the same time this movie is coming out. Yeah. And the Looney Tunes are like always going to be classics. And it's the first time a lot of these kids, including myself, you see like a modern interpretation visually of what these characters would look like. And yeah, yeah I'm, I'm not saying that the movie is dumb, but it wasn't entirely a dumb decision to put this movie together. It makes sense in terms of a corporate mindset. Like what is an easy check? What is an easy, like we can make money off of this. And it was this. Yeah. And well, the interesting thing though, too, is just in, in comparison to how iconic it is in like our age group Mm -hmm. and maybe a little bit older too. um, It's interesting how like, I mean, it it did well at the box office, but it didn't do crazy well. No, especially not on its really high budget. It, I it mean, its like budget was like eighty million. It was like eighty to hundred. It, it makes I think two hundred and fifty. Well, it made only ninety in the U.S. Oh, but it made a lot in, more. It made two thirty worldwide. Yeah, which is like good. I mean, it made it made its money back and more, but um, but it wasn't a huge. Win yeah, it's not one of those States. where you like look at the numbers and you're like. Oh yeah, that makes sense given how much everybody loves this movie. Yeah, <laughs> it's like, oh, I'm surprised more people didn't turn out for it. But I wonder if that's, uh, I kind of wonder if you know maybe the numbers are reflective of where Looney Tunes were at culturally at the time, because by that time, really all we were getting was like reruns. Yeah. Um, because uh, and that that's a problem that we will see exacerbated, I think, in the success or lack thereof of the, later the next films. movie yeah or the next two movies mm-hmm. um which is and just that like you know at this point looney tunes are not kind of a continual ongoing popular yeah. property it's kind yeah. of a legacy property the biggest yeah the biggest issue that warner brothers has throughout every single one of these films is that while warner brothers knows this is an iconic IP. It's been around for decades, and kids of any generation would love it if they keep pushing the old school stuff. In terms of how to modernize it, Warner Brothers always has the weird idea of like it has to be super of the era. Like it can't yeah. be like it has it, to be super contemporary. Yes. It has to be focused on humans, like yes. real people. Yes. Um, and it's just yeah, they, it kind of I don't know if it misses the point of the original Looney Tunes because the point was just to be goofy and most of them are goofy but like I, I think when they do the Looney Tunes by themselves it gets 
close to the original stuff yeah. in Space Jam. Yeah. I think the Looney Tunes on this, I feel like, are different enough that if you're a kid who watches all the classics from Chuck Jones, you can watch this film and be like, "Oh, that's a different voice." That's they're kind of being a bit. They're kind of being more sarcastic and kind of a little bit more reverent yeah. than they usually are. I mean, because in Lo- in Space Jam. Both voice actors Billy West and Dee Bradley Baker have talked about like there are lines in the final product that they did not know they put in the final product. Yeah, because they or, thought they were just screwing around. Yeah, they were they were just the being assholes yeah. and just like <laughs> making like, jokes about their co- corporate yeah. overlords at Warner Brothers. There's literally a part where Daffy has a Warner Brothers sticker on his ass and he kisses his own ass. <laughs> like it's very clear that they're just making fun of like. Look at this. We're here mainly because of money. But that's not yeah. what the Looney Tunes really are, but it still works in a modern sense. Yeah. And because of that, and because Space Jam does well enough, they try to do a Space Jam 2 in the late 90s. And Michael goes, <laughs> and this is <laughs> going to be paraphrasing, I hate making movies. They're a tedious process. I don't want to be a part of this. Yeah. And you know what happens, Andy? They don't just go, oh, damn, we can't do Space Jam 2. They lie to the animation department, and they say, Michael's on board. Start yeah, working on the film. And then when they can't lie and leverage trying to get Michael back, Warner Brothers just kiboshes the whole thing. Yeah. And so they try to do something else where this is going to be fun to talk about the other <laughs> options that they do. So the, the other next, jams. Yeah, the next jam is uh, that they try to do is Race Jam with Jeff Gordon. Yeah. Uh, and that falls through. They try to do a spy jam with Jackie Chan, and that kind of falls through, which we'll get into later. Yeah. They even tried to try to develop a Tiger Woods golf-esque oh, yeah. jam, but and it was so early in development, they didn't even have a fake title for it. <laughs> well, and they, they also eventually tried Skate Jam with Tony Hawk. Yeah, I think they tried to do Skate Jam... Like after the next film. like They were just like, yeah, oh, right. this is going to be the next one. Yeah. And then... You know, our next film in the trilogy, which is 2002's Looney Tunes Back in Action. 2003's. 2003, thank yeah. you. Um, Looney Tunes Back in Action is astoundingly fascinating because as a film itself, it's not great. It is basically, it is, it is made it is made specifically to have a plot that is so bare bones that it's not going to distract from the gags. Yeah. Like, it was made design-wise by director Joe Dante, who is known for the Howling, Gremlins? Gremlins two. Gremlins two. Is he not? Did he, I thought I, he did I both. I, I think, think he, he did, did both the, of them. Oh, maybe he did the first and one. And basically, uh, what, what happened he is do, like volcano or something. He might have done volcano too. I don't know, but I know that like early nineties, Joe Dante wants to make a Chuck Jones biopic, and Warner Brothers basically tells him, "That's a nice idea." We have no interest. We <laughs> want to do a Looney Tunes film. Would you be down for that? And Joe Dante, being a longtime friend of Chuck Jones, decides, all right, I will do the film for him. And what starts from that point forward is they basically take remnants of the Jackie Chan Spy Jam film and basically turn it into this weird Frankenstein's monster that is supposed to be a 2000s revival of the Looney Tunes <laughs> A little bit of the Spy Jam, yeah. a little bit of just irreverent humor, and just overall becomes, again, another mess of a film to the point where Joe Tante says, he said, it was one of the longest years and the halves of his life. Yeah. Well, and he 
the the main reason he wanted to do it was because of his obviously his affinity and love for Chuck Jones, but yeah. also he was deeply offended by Space Jam. Yeah, he didn't like how the Looney Tunes were characterized in Space yeah, Jam. Yeah, and he was like, okay, fine, I'll mm-hmm. do this so that yeah. it can get done right. And, and <laughs> it, it all blows up. It even his goes face. so far as to like early on in production, Billy West does come back as Bugs. But he clashes so hard with Dante, like Dante is like not working with West at all. Well, yeah. that West basically gets re, like they do, they do re new vocals for Bugs. They keep him as Elmer Fudd. It's mm-hmm. Billy West as Elmer Fudd in the original, the final product. But they decide to do Joe Alasky as both Bugs and Daffy, who are the prominent characters in Back in Action. And Joe Alasky, I believe, is was Warner Brothers' official successor to Mel Blanc. Yeah. Because Mel Blanc, who is like the man of a thousand voices, he is the iconic voice actor in his generation of all generations at this point. <laughs> he is he is hard to fill his shoes. And so when they find somebody like Joe Alasky and they say this guy is going to be his successor, it's a big fucking deal. And in Back in Action, it's pretty clear as to why he is the successor. (laughs) Because in all honesty, out of all three of these films, while Looney Tunes Back in Action is not a great movie, the Looney Tunes shit is so good in Back in Action. I love the Looney Tunes in Back in Action. Yeah, it's so just rapid fire, kind of that classic sassiness that you remember from the original show or shows and shorts. but, uh, But it never... You know, it never feels super dated because they're constantly in these very kind of oh, yeah. modern, high-tech scenarios. And it's just like, it feels like what you'd expect if you transplant the original Looney Tunes into this very weird, new, modern environment. Yeah, and it's it's even a better choice of the fact that the main Looney Tune in the film is Daffy. Yeah, it's Like, nice Bugs plays second to, fiddle in yeah, a good it's, way. It's, it's a nice change from Bugs always being in the front. And, like, even the premise itself just has Gremlins 2, a new batch energy, where the whole <laughs> film is basically Daffy gets fired from the Looney Tunes movie. They realize they can't do the Looney Tunes movie without Daffy, so they try to find him, but it turns out he's now on a spy adventure with Brendan <laughs> Fraser. Yeah, it's so, absolutely just it's, wild. And it's interesting, the, the note that you made about, um, you know, Joe Dante trying to make a story that would just get out of the way of the gags yeah um because the this story just goes a thousand different places it just goes wherever the gag takes it yeah and I mean, it's just like one of no the wonder best... this movie's bonkers because it's all <sighs> it's about so the looney tunes just being goofballs it's, it's so much Fraser's fun. a good a goofball too he ma- matches their energy pretty perfectly yeah and Brendan Fraser's so good at being a goofball that his his impression of Taz is the version of Taz yeah, in the they, film. Yeah, they used him. He's so good that they don't get Jim Cummings to do the Tasmanian <laughs> Devil. Like, that's insane. <laughs> Let it be known that Brendan Fraser is a better Taz than Jim Cummings. <laughs> According to guessed? Warner Brothers. Yeah, I mean, it's just like, But it's, it's just astounding, too, that, like, Joe Dante has, like, the things he has said about what the, like, what the studio asked him to do was so funny. Like, he's like, I had to constantly explain to them why bugs can't rap while they shouldn't make references like this. Yeah. And it's like, I don't, they just kept pushing. And apparently, and I don't, I think you might've read this. I hope you haven't. Cause it's fucking wild. When I figured this out, apparently Warner brothers was so worried that the gags weren't fast enough. They hired 25 writers to redo every single <laughs> gag in the film so that it was fast 
and uh, short. No, I didn't. To the point that. where, like, there's so many of those gag writers, none of them are credited. <laughs> I also know that there were, there were, to that end, tons of... Basically, at the time, Warner Brothers had hopped on this animated feature film trend basically because yeah. of Disney's renaissance in the 90s. And Warner Brothers was like, we got to hop on this train. Everybody loves cartoons now. Yeah. Uh, let's resurrect our, our guys, which is kind of why Space Jam happened. Um, and even more so, that's that's why this film happened. But the, uh, I guess, according to reports within the studio and from Joe Dante and other people who worked on this film, the executives at Warner Brothers had no idea how the process of creating an animated film worked they didn't realize that you you animate to the audio so you record the lines and then you animate to that Mm -hmm. so they were constantly telling joe dante and the animators like no redo that scene and it's like we can't redo it Mm -hmm. in two days we have to redraw the entire scene because it was drawn to the sound bites that we had and it's like that just sounds like hell mm-hmm. for for an animator, and you know, even for Dante especially. You know, what's crazy too is yeah, because like every single film, every single scene in the film had three takes for each shot. <laughs> One take that had nothing in the shot. Yeah. A take that had like a doll of Bugs or Daffy or whatever cartoons in that shot, and then the third take is basically a mirror ball. That yeah. they would use to figure out like the context Lighting and where reference. the light would hit. Yeah. Yeah. So when you figure that out, plus extra scenes that you're gonna have to do because not everyone's gonna get the cut correct on the first try, right. and the fact that the studio is constantly changing gags every single time. Yeah. And you get to the point where like they are so over budget, <laughs> it's to a point where none of them are probably thinking this is going to turn into anything. And then you get to a final product that like at its base level. Is still good. It's still yeah, pretty it's good. It's still, still really fun. A fun it's still time. fun. It's like the best. It's one of the best interpretations, modern interpretations of the Looney Tunes we've really gotten. Yeah, and I mean, out, outside of a couple, you know, some some bits and pieces of the kind of newer shows they've done, the cartoon shows um, that they've done over the last couple decades. This is about the best Looney Tunes material you get, at least in terms of the Looney Tunes themselves. The yeah, in terms of classic Looney Tunes. Yeah. Because after this, after Back in Action flops, because Back in Action makes $68 million worldwide on an $80 million budget. Yeah. Basically, after that, you get... You get like ideas like the Duck Dodgers show, which is a good choice, because yeah. Duck Dodgers was a fun... is a daffy alias that's just really fun to do like a silly you know, homage to classic sci-fi with. Right. But they also do stuff like Lunatics Unleashed, which is basically, <laughs> what if we did the Looney Tunes, but also Batman Beyond? And you're like, what? How exactly does yeah. this mix together? And then it's like you watch it, and it's a bunch of super serious rabbits in, like, Tron costumes. Yeah, I was just kind of hopping on that that super team trend of the 2000s, I guess. Yeah, I don't I don't the necessarily Power Rangers know. and Teen Titans and Yeah, and it it sucks too cuz it's like in back in action. It, I mean, it's clear by the end of the the final product, they Warner Brothers has no fucking idea what they want to do with the Looney Tunes other than they just want people to laugh and like hopefully we'll make shorts that people like, but Yeah. Once back in action doesn't do well, it flops and um 
all the in any kind of interest of revival for Warner Brothers just goes out the window. Yeah, Warner Brothers pretty and, much abandoned like feature yeah. film stuff for Looney Tunes Which because sucks, of this movie. Because like some of oh my god, I mean the part that made me laugh the most, and Andy can attest to this, is there is a bit in Back in Action where they're in a flying car <laughs> and they end up starting to fall. And as they're falling, <laughs> Daffy is on the phone and says, sell all my Warner Brothers stock because I have an insider that tells me Bugs is going to die real quick. <laughs> it's so chaotic and yeah. mean and funny, and it's, it feels perfect. Yeah, it's great that this movie has a joke about Warner Brothers stock just mm-hmm. plummeting. <laughs> and, like, in Space Jam, there's, like, there's the, there's the quote-unquote iconic scene where Wayne Knight just says all the product placement that they have where it's like, put on, lace up your Nikes, put on your, put on yeah. your Adidas pants. You will pick up a Big Mac on the way to the game, like <laughs> that whole shit. And then in back in action, they make fun of that by finding a Walmart in the middle of nowhere mm-hmm. and saying that they get more money if they say Walmart so many more times about right. Walmart. And it's just, <laughs> it's so much fun. And yeah. I, I would say the worst part about the film is when the gags between like when the looney tunes gags when there's enough time in between to be like it's mainly human stuff for a little bit yeah like anything with steve martin who is a funny man he's great he's an iconic comedian anything with steve martin that just like goes to him he's not funny anymore in this film yeah i love steve martin but i i think i don't think i genuinely disliked any of the parts that were centered on the looney tunes characters no I disliked almost every part of the movie that had nothing to do with the Looney Tunes characters. I I was indifferent with anything with Brendan Fraser well, and Brendan Jenna was Elfman. Fine, yeah, Brendan because was they fine. were they were funny because like they constantly made fun of the fact like oh this was a movie we would be smooching right now like they yeah. do they do those jokes a couple of times but like anytime Steve Martin shows up I remember as a kid thinking he's funny but now yeah. watching it, it's like man he just his performance hasn't aged well sadly. Yeah, and it's less about his performance and more the fact that he just really doesn't have a lot to do. Yeah, it and it just feels like I mean he's he's swinging for the fences with his performance with no material. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's it kind of has that vibe of you know a director or producer just hiring a comedian and then rolling the cameras and saying okay do your thing yeah you know do do the funny thing you mm-hmm. do and it's like it's the kind of humor just exaggerated performance that only appeals to like two and three year olds yeah who have no idea what he's even saying but it's funny the way he says it uh but yeah it just really falls flat but like it's kind of sad (laughs) oh yeah but like brendan fraser at least it's always i mean i want a fraser song so bad and it's great to watch him in this (laughs) and just be like full-blown knows what type of film it is and is just having a fun time well he was the perfect choice for something like this because he's got the kind of He's got he, he was just such a, for, especially for the time, such a unique kind of leading man because he had this sort of wide-eyed goofiness, but he was still sellable as a, a leading man because he was yeah. a hunk, but he was a goofball, but He's, he was, a, he was his, very earnest. His filmography starts in comedy. Yeah. Like, his some of his first films are like... Uh, Airheads. There's yeah. the film where he's a caveman that comes Encino back to life. Man, Encino yeah. Man. Yeah, the 90s, he primarily played, or at least in a, like his biggest movies were all about him playing characters who like had no understanding of the world around yeah. them. He did George of the Jungle. He did Encino oh, Man. He's so good in George of the Jungle. And I think he does something from somebody from like a different time or a different planet. He does Bedazzled, a Bedazzled remake with Elizabeth <laughs> yeah. Hurley as the devil. 
He does Henry Selick's only live action film, which is fucking Monkey Bone. Oh which yeah, is, Monkey Bone. I if I could find any excuse to talk about that film with you and show you that film, <laughs> I would happily do it because that movie is bonkers, and it is insane to think that there's a certain point where that was like Brendan Fraser getting like the rise of Fraser is doing Monkey Bone. Yeah, <laughs> and it's not until the Mummy happens where he becomes an action star to a degree. And it's very clear in Looney Tunes that his background with the mummy leads him to be, like, really good with scenes where he has to interact with cartoons. Yeah, because there's a lot of sequences in the mummy where he's fighting CGI because that movie was kind of on the cutting edge of using CGI characters (laughs) in significant parts of live-action movies. And he was had a lot of sequences where he was obviously, you know, fending off tons of mummies at once. And he had to do long takes of him battling through multiple oh, yeah. enemies and so it's like it's he's a natural choice to be going and playing you know invisible puppets with he the has, looney tunes he has such a theatrical edge to his performance in those films that like he can put a lot of the physical actions to it to make it easy to animate around yeah and that's the thing with mac in action there's a whole fight where he has like a put up your dukes fight with a cartoon and it genuinely feels like he's looking at whatever he thinks the cartoon is and, like, fighting the cartoon, and it's, like, really well done. Yeah. And, and Jenna Elfman, can we talk about how weird it's, like, a meta-narrative about how Jenna Elfman's the only exec in the Warner Brothers company and then becomes a scapegoat when the Warner Brothers make a bad choice? <laughs> the Brothers Warner. Yeah, so yeah. the only way she can save her job is if she just fixes something that isn't really under her control. Yeah, well, she basically follows orders and then gets fired for following orders. She's the stick in the mud who has... It's funny, too, because it's like... Brennan, because the film does a great... I think the greatest thing they could have done is with the two leads, they have Daffy with Brennan and they have Bugs with Jenna Elfman. And Daffy has the energy of, like... A basically, he has the energy of like someone who's played second fiddle his entire life and is just begging for an adventure where he's the lead basically daffy and then bugs is played like he's playing his like age like he's 70 80 (laughs) years old and this is like i can make all the decisions i want i want daffy back right and And it's just like super chill and just an ass in the best way and that works so well because of the like i mean the the framing device of the film is that these looney tunes are actual real life people who are employed by warner brothers yeah like they they walk the back lots and they run you know businesses on the oh, side. Yeah, that and... was the whole scene in the in the cafeteria where you see Matthew Lillard with Casey Kasem, Shaggy, and Scooby Doo, <laughs> yeah. and the fact that Porky Pig and Speedy Gonzalez are too they're not PC enough, so they can't be put in the <laughs> film. And it's all just like it's so fun, and it's it's the best stuff poking fun of the studio that they can get away with. Yeah, because unfortunately, back in action, even though it works well enough, it sadly is not at all what Dante had envisioned. To the point where he said, "The he has said the opening, middle, and end are completely different than what I perceived." Yeah, he basically says the entire film is not at all what he wanted, and the only thing that he could really control is the is preserve the characters, preserve right, the Looney right. Tunes, and I think he does that well with the writer. Yeah. Uh, who's the? I mean, who's the writer that gets credited? I think it's like Larry Doyle. I think. Yeah, I think that's right. And they both just like preserve the Looney Tunes so well, and it's such yeah. a shame that we really don't get. 
we get more Looney Tunes stuff, but it's straight to video. Yeah. Which is basically what happens to Warner Brothers Animation after this film is it kind of right. gets defunct to a degree except for straight to video stuff. And from that point forward, from 2003 to 2019, basically, actually, no, to 2013, 2014, it is just mainly like they try, you know, the Baby Looney Tunes show, they try the Looney Tunes show, which is like a sitcom with all the Looney Tunes. Yeah. They have all these different, like, they basically almost do what they end up doing with Tom and Jerry, where it's like, let's do around the world in, a, in 80 days, but with Tweety Bird. Let's do a Bugs Bunny like adventure. Yeah, that, do like, like no genre one knew parodies featuring yeah. the Looney Tunes. And they don't ever really do any theatrical stuff with them. And but like Warner Brothers is just begging, Warner Brothers is just begging for Space Jam too. Yeah, like they're like, oh my god, the last time the Looney Bro- the, the Looney Tunes worked is with Space Jam. We need another <laughs> Space Jam. And then in 2013, 2014, I believe it's announced that LeBron is interested. Yep. Like LeBron, going from a the 90s to the 2010s, we have the next, we have the best in the game in the 2010s, which is LeBron. Right. Or at least the most iconic. Yeah, I mean, probably, and, I guess, yeah, really the only player since mm-hmm. michael jordan to get like long-term sustained is he the next mj talk yeah which i i, I bet he loves i bet he loves oh, being yeah, compared I'm to sh- somebody else being compared to jordan yeah instead so, of just being his own thing right but, but that naturally kind of made him that and also being maybe the most iconic yeah you know player currently in the game made him a perfect choice yes if you're gonna do another space jam yeah and, um, and it's not until basically after the success of Trainwreck and people and critics like basically really just saying positive things about LeBron's performance in Trainwreck that it's basically like LeBron's company starts to work with Warner Brothers to develop a Space Jam 2. Right. And then from that point forward, I think in 2018 it's announced that Terrence Nance, who is a director from, I believe, Dallas or Austin, Texas – who has not really that big of a filmography, but has a lot of shorts, has a has a bit of some experience in animation. Mm-hmm. And all of his films he's kind of been tied to are kind of artsy films. But they're like, this guy has talent. Let's put him on the film. And initially, I believe Justin Lin in 2016, <laughs> you know, Fast and Furious fame is put on as an executive producer. And then I believe in 2018, 2019, he leaves. Yeah. And then Ryan Coogler takes over. Right, right. And then once they start production in, like, late 2019, about a few months later, it is announced that Terrence Nance has left the project due to creative differences with Warner Brothers. Surprise. And Malcolm D. Lee, who is the cousin of Spike Lee and has been in, <laughs> and has been a director since, I believe, the late 90s, yeah. if not the early 90s, has come on and is basically taking over the project. And I think probably one of the most iconic films Michael D. Lee has done in terms of like cult classics, I mean, he's done Undercover Brother, right? Yeah, he's done. A, I think yeah. he did a barbershop film at one point. <laughs> he did like maybe the last one, and yeah, he's he his most iconic film, I guess, or most popular would probably be like The Best Man, which is like a Tay Diggs kind of drama oh, that turned best into Man a Holiday, yeah, which turned into the sequel, The Best Man Holiday, and apparently Peacock picked up like Best Man the finale or something uh-huh. for like ten episodes, so. Good on you, Peacock. <laughs> Good wow. on you, Malcolm. Taking that Peacock money. <laughs> but uh, oh, yeah, I guess so, he did Scary Movie Five. Oh yeah, he 
Yeah, we don't want to talk about that. Uh, but yeah, they finished production, I believe, in September of 2019. And then it was supposed to release in 2020. But then we all know what happens. Yeah. Uh, a, little, a little thing you might have heard of called COVID-19. Mm. And no one's going to a theater. And no one's even going to think about even watching a Space Jam 2 in theaters. Right. So they, they basically push it. What's also crazy, too, is like once that film finishes production, we literally hear nothing. Until, like, I yeah. think 2021. I think it's not until, like, early this year we start to see... Uh, actually, the first... I think the first footage we saw was in front of an HBO Max promo for Same Day in Theaters. Oh, I think that's right. Yeah, because we, we see, yeah. like, we see 3D bugs, and yeah. we see LeBron for a second, and it's like, whoa, is that Space Jam? Yeah, it's I like, think It's just got, coming out? All we got last year, I think, was the jersey design. Yes, because that uniform leaked. design, which is that... Just horribly over-designed crap. <laughs> and, like, yeah, it got to a point where, like, at the end of 2020, we started to get leaks about what the jerseys are going to look like, what the designs are going to be, the whole thing about Pepe Le Pew getting taken out of the film because, you know, he's too racy. Yeah. Which we will... A, little, a, a side tangent, I think the funniest thing about, you know, Warner Brothers talking about this character's not PC enough. He's, he's too... They're too PC, you know. They're not, you know, correct for society today if you watch both back in action and space jam they literally use characters that are considered problematic so well mm-hmm. and barely and like it's so and they're weird. not problematic in the film yeah like in space jam peppy Le Pew actually plays a part in them getting points yeah like, but it's not him like making out with lola bunny he's or just like stinky making out. yeah he's a stinky skunk yeah he's a skunk he's stinky it's monsters just, fall it, over it's that's all they do fascinating that yeah somebody like warner bros you know, backpedals yeah. away from creepy misogynist Pepe Le Pew, but then they put the droogs from the <laughs> Clockwork Orange courtside in the final game of Space Jam 2. Oh, uh, let's just get into Space Jam 2. <laughs> we just got to talk about it. Space Jam A New Legacy is a nearly two-hour film that is mainly... Uh, how, how do I put this? Uh, it's a commercial, the it's, whole thing. I mean, Space Jam, is a the original, is... Yeah, it's a product. It's a commercial. It's selling Warner, like Looney Tunes and Michael Jordan. But this is selling every IP Warner Brothers can throw at you. It feels like it's selling HBO Max. Yeah, like it really feels like. Yeah, it it's, really does. It, it feels like it's, it's 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 all set online yeah. in the Soiva voice. The the Soiva voice. The, the Warner server Brothers server verse, which contains all yeah. the Warner Brothers content, which yeah. I feel like is basically just a, a stand-in for HBO Max. Yeah, and I mean, I was talking about the fact that like, this is this is a film where the only thing they really had to do was establish whether. Is this a sequel to Space Jam, or is this in a universe where you know Space Jam exists and like you know the Looney Tunes are aware of it? And you know what's funny is it, it depends on any character you ask whether either one is the option. Yeah, they, they because, kind of just avoid the whole thing. Yeah, because at one point when they show when they when they're pitching this idea called Warner Three Thousand to LeBron James, you can see the Space Jam poster for a brief moment, yeah. but no one ever talks about it. And then you hear LeBron talk about, you know, anytime an athlete does a role in a film, it never turns out well. Yeah. And then you talk to Bugs Bunny the first time you see him, and he's like, oh, a film about having to play a game of basketball to save the world, or else you get trapped and become prison. Where have I heard that before? And looks at the camera. 
And it's like, oh, I guess he's aware of Space Jam. Yeah. And then when we see Lola Bunny, and they bring up the idea of Lola Bunny, she just straight up says, like, I've been there, done that. But none of the other Looney Tunes have established that they've seen Michael Right, Jordan. well, and also the framing device is entirely different. These are not the Looney Tunes from Space Jam who exist in the center of the Earth. No, they're in just Toon the Looney World. Tunes. No, they just, they're they're digital constructs. Because so... the whole movie takes place inside of a computer. Yeah. And we're just looking at the literal property, the literal yeah. intellectual property, the cartoons of the Looney Tunes. And LeBron James is interacting with them. In, in, a, in like, a catalog a that includes, you know, The Wizard of Oz, Casablanca, all these, like, all these IPs and properties, they call the t- Looney Tunes the most embarrassing and the rejects yeah, of the, the, the properties. Yeah, the premise is that they're the losers. Yeah. And Which, yeah, like, I get it, I guess, in terms of, you know, Warner Brothers' experience with trying to make Looney Tunes yeah, but they're only feature films. Yeah, but, but the like, losers is only because they just don't, it's their fault. Yeah. It's no one else's fault. Everyone right, else's. Right. What's so crazy is they have shorts that they were they were going to release in anticipation of this film, but due to COVID, instead they just dumped all the shorts on HBO Max, and it's like the the Looney Tunes cartoons. They're the new kind of oh, batch that of them. was made for. That, Space they were Jam? supposed to be like they were gonna start showing those in front of films. It's oh, like almost like Pixar shorts. I didn't realize that. But they instead decided to dump all of them onto HBO Max, yeah. and they're all really kind of at at worst genuinely kind of funny yeah and at best hilarious like the animation style is definitely vastly different like there's a little bit of a flash like they definitely it looks a little bit smoother than usual but but it's basically going back to its roots yeah very chaotic energy there's like there's one clip i literally saw today where it's like porky pig gets stuck in like this machine where he gets his ass slapped several times (laughs) and then it cuts to daffy duck and he gives a sly smile and goes PG thirteen, <laughs> and it's like this is, this is like uh, this is the best way you could do modern Looney Tunes. How they yeah. do it, like the wild animations they have. They even have redesigns that fit really well. Right. And you watch this film, and like you have a talented cast behind the Looney Tunes. You have Jeff Bergman doing Bugs, and I think Elmer. You have Eric Baza who's doing Daffy. You have you even have Gabriel Iglesias to be fucking Speedy Gonzalez. <laughs> Like, you have, like, this genuinely talented cast of people, and unfortunately, this is the worst film when it comes to the Looney Tunes. Yeah. It just doesn't do anything with them. Well, it's interesting, because the movie has this whole point about, oh, the Looney Tunes are losers, and it, it really feels like the movie is, like, trying to convince you of that, that they're the losers. Like, it's not saying, oh, the Looney Tunes think they're losers, but they're really not. It's like the movie is telling you they're losers because the Looney Tunes play second fiddle to every other Warner Brothers property that they can shove into the movie. Which is funny because literally all those properties are mainly rated R. <laughs> the Matrix. Fury Road. Fury Road. I mean, yeah. Casablanca is PG, PG-13, but, but it's like... it's old, old movie yeah, it's that not, kids aren't going to want to watch or like even it's know astounding about. To, it's astounding to think that they're considered the rejects when they're literally one of the only things Warner Brothers has that is of age for children. Yeah. Like, even seeing Rick and Morty in this film felt vastly different. Yeah. Where it's like, they 
Like he does, they don't say anything. He doesn't say shit. He just goes like he doesn't say wubble up a dub dub or anything. No. He's, he feels censored. Yeah. Even though it's animation, they can't do. Well, it's funny because yeah, the way the way his scene is or the way Rick and Morty's scene is designed, it's like it almost feels like Rick is trying to get out of the scene as quickly as possible before yes. he says something inappropriate. Yeah. Because <laughs> he's like, hey, I couldn't figure out what to do with your creature. Uh, see ya. <laughs> yeah. He's yours now, dum dums, and then just yeah. leaves. And then it's like, okay. Does Morty even say anything? Yeah, he does. He says, "I'll never forget what I saw." He's just oh, like, he's yeah. like, "I'll never he's be like able to erase." He's yeah, thousand yards because they have we'll Tasmanian Devil. Uh, okay, well, let's we'll just go into also one of the reasons why this movie is just honestly worse than the original is the plot is so convoluted. Yeah, <laughs> the, the whole very... the whole plot is uh, LeBron's youngest son is a programmer. He's a gamer. But LeBron isn't a gamer. Is a basketball player, and that's and he, all LeBron cares yeah, about. So knows. when LeBron's kid is a gamer, but not a real basketball player, it's a big no-no for LeBron. Yeah, LeBron is. Yeah, LeBron's role is really he's a he's a he's asshole, an asshole dad. He's and an it's, asshole and dad. And it's interesting to see LeBron play that, just because LeBron is known as you know one of the more affable players in the NBA. Yeah, he's, he's like. A, family man he's a genuine person he arguably people don't have a lot of bad things to say about him except for people who don't like his success or think he's overrated like arguably he's made some of the most controversial decisions in his career for business purposes and for his family yeah and it's like he is he is considered i mean a big difference between michael and lebron which it's hard not to watch this with michael is a full-on basketball icon yeah he's not a media mogul but LeBron right. is. Yeah, LeBron, LeBron, I mean, LeBron got yeah. big in a totally different era. Yeah, LeBron literally has his hand, his paws and hands and just everything. Yeah, he's like and, the Kanye of basketball. I mean, he has he's like a, a producer. Bar- he's a, yeah. you know, he owns multiple brands and businesses. He's got documentaries and I think, you know, Netflix, maybe Prime, yeah. you know. He's got like a barbershop show called The Shop. Right. Like that he <laughs> produces. He's got like, he has like a... A amateur like college football docu series that he yeah. produces. Like the man knows how to do business deals. So in this film, when LeBron basically says it's a dumb idea to throw me into films, I'm not a movie star. Yeah. You start to feel some cognitive dissonance with what the film is showing you, yeah. with what he's saying. And it's like, well, hold on. If that's the case. Why is this two hours? Right. And why am I watching this? And at yeah. the same time LeBron is a bad dad in this film, there is an AI that Warner Brothers created, played by Don Cheadle. His name is Algie Rhythm, who hates LeBron because LeBron doesn't like the Warner AI. Yeah, basically, well, basically the Warner producers pitched to LeBron this concept of, what is it, Warner 3000? Warner 3000. Which is supposed to be this kind of all-encompassing artificial intelligence system that can basically create movies itself. Yeah. Basically, they pitched to LeBron, they're like, basically let us use your likeness and we will automatically generate (laughs) content starring you. And he's like, I don't have time for this. I'm basketball man and only basketball man yeah. because LeBron only does basketball. It's a well-known fact. Yeah, LeBron doesn't do anything else. Just all basketball. The, he doesn't all even the, love his kids. It's just basketball. All the things we talked about him being a producer on stuff rumored. He's never he's never <laughs> truly been anything None but a basketball man. Confirmed. Um, but yeah, but it's, yeah, they they pitch that to him and he's like, no, I'm all basketball all the time. Yeah. 
and he's like well, don Cheadle, who plays the ai just takes that to heart and creates this personal vendetta against lebron and it, sucks him into the computer because like algae's whole purpose in the film his his main goal is just to become so popular that no one he doesn't want to take over the world, but at the same time, he just wants yeah. to be he, he doesn't so want to take famous. Over the world, but in in the sense that he is an AI designed for capitalist success, he kind of does want to take over the world. Yeah, at least, at least in like a media popularity sense. Yeah, he, he's designed to, I guess, yeah. make Warner Brothers as popular as possible. Yeah, so, and his, so his chosen, you know, muse is LeBron because LeBron's the most popular basketball player. And LeBron, when LeBron basically says, "Yeah, shoving me into Warner Brothers properties is a bad idea," he tell, and they do Al, it. Yeah, Al G takes it to heart, sucks him and his son into the in the Soiva voice, and basically Soiva says, voice. "If you want your son back, you have to beat me at basketball. Yeah. Go build your team, and you have twenty four hours to do so." <laughs> and what happens is, is they send LeBron to Looney Tune World. He makes a Kevin Hart joke. He sees Bugs Bunny. Yeah. And you basically find out that the whole thing is that all the Looney Tunes except for Bugs are in different Warner Brothers properties. So yeah, for the next Tune World. Yeah, so for the next twenty to twenty five minutes we're going to other Warner Brothers properties to find the Looney Tunes. Well, yeah, because LeBron, knowing that he has this basketball challenge, he's like, I gotta get the baddest, coolest people in warner brothers the mm-hmm. best characters yeah to play basketball on my team and bugs kind of slyly is like yeah i'll i'll help you go around the properties and yeah and get cool characters for your team when really he knows he's he's taking lebron to all of the properties where the looney tunes have run off to yeah he's lying to lebron and just basically just like ignoring everything he says and just yeah. kidding all of his friends <laughs> And it's like, okay, this doesn't feel like a real Bugs thing to do, but at the same time, I'll just, I'll, yeah, we'll see I mean, where I guess this goes. You say Bugs is always conning people, I guess. I mean, that's sort of I, a I shtick, guess, but it's like, yeah. it's a really drawn out con. Yeah, it's like, it takes LeBron <laughs> way too late to realize, like, after the first two hires, like, mm-hmm. the first two teammates, like, it's like, okay, Bugs, are you are you trying to pull my leg? Are you trying to fuck with me and get all your friends? Yeah. But instead, what happens is, is... So they go to what is what is the order of things? I'm trying to think about it. I don't remember. It's, they go to the Matrix. It's, it's DC. It's DC. They go oh, to yeah, find they go to Porky. Superman cartoon. Yeah. They go find Porky and Daffy. Which again, if anyone really gave a shit about the the Looney Tunes, it would have been funny as fuck if he had been Duck Dodgers trying to stop a speeding <laughs> yeah. train. But instead, he's but just no. Superman. He's just a duck dressed up as Superman. Yeah, and of course, they fuck all that shit up, and it's like, oh, cool, Like they got the Bruce Tim artwork for DC. Well, we'll leave that. <laughs> and then they go to Mad Max Fury Road, and we watch a clip of Mad Max Fury Road that has Wile E. Coyote and Roadrunner superimposed on it. Yep. Which, by the way, I mean, out of all of them, I think that's like... The best, it's the best and, gag and concept. Yeah, the fact that like he put he like spray paints his teeth and then he has a sign that says "Witness me" and then he jumps <laughs> off and he misses and explodes like in a but classic again, Wiley way. Those, you know, I mean, I'm all for kids' movies having jokes that adults will appreciate, but it's like that's the majority of the humor in this movie is yeah. stuff that kids aren't going to understand and adults are just going to be kind of like, huh. And also, the the week the Mad Max Fury Road came out, Pitch Perfect two made more money. 
Like Mad Max <laughs> Fury Road is um, someone I think on Twitter might have said it best where it's like, out of all the properties that are in this film, literally the most recent one is Mad Max Fury Road. Yeah. And that one really wasn't a huge box office hit, but it was enough of a hit and had enough big, nominations yeah, that apparently hit. Space Jam 2 needed to have it. Right. And then we go to uh, Casablanca, which apparently was originally supposed to be, was one of the last things Terrence Nance, Terrence Nance directed. It was supposed to be Pepe Le Pew oh. in Casablanca, but they completely redid that. But then he's a creep, put, so we yeah. can't do that. Yeah, he, he you can't make him funny without sexually assaulting women, so we'll throw him <laughs> away, even though that's so not true, Warner Brothers. Yeah. And so cool. And then we go, I think Foghorn Leghorn is Khaleesi in Game of Thrones. Oh, yeah. They find Gossamer... Uh, randomly, yeah. I think the the most surprising gag is Austin Powers. They go to Austin Powers world, and right. Elmer Fudd and Sylvester are in Austin Powers yeah, and the Elmer Spy Fudd Who Shagged is Me. Mini Me and Sylvester, <laughs> is, <laughs> hairless is, Sylvester is Mr. Bigglesworth. Yeah, <laughs> that was kind of funny. And then like oh, the Granny's in the Matrix. Yeah. Oh, can we talk? Okay, we're gonna have to talk about this. And Tweety. Okay, so who is who is truly? the worst Looney Tune in this film. Is it Granny or Lola? Yeah, I don't know. I think I mean, I'm going to so, have... I'm so I'm gonna have, to Lola. That's the thing is I think... Granny was maybe more annoying. Yeah, I'm going to go Granny because I hate the fucking fact that Granny's whole thing in the film, like her quote-unquote arc or comedic arc, is that yeah. she's the one. Like she's just Neo from the Matrix. Yeah. Because like LeBron makes a joke that she is the one, right? And it's and it feels so forced <laughs> when he it's says like, the joke. Okay. And so, and yeah, and the reason why I bring that up too is because we now get to the last tune that they pick up, which is the longest segment, which is Lola in Amazonian world. She's she's yeah. on Themyscira with, uh, I think I said that right with Wonder Woman. Yeah, in the and. Amazons. And she it, basically plays out the intro to Wonder Woman 84. Yeah. Which is this trial of obstacles to prove that she's a warrior. and Yeah, apparently she's been training for 25 years, or at least 23 years in terms yeah. of when they shot it, to uh, become an Amazon. Yeah. And um, the biggest thing about this film that is astounding, too, is that uh, they took all the sexuality out of Lola, which, again... In case it wasn't clear enough from both of us, is a hundred percent fine because it was very it awkward to watch. Have been sexuality in there to begin with. Yeah, both both Andy and I were like, "My God, this is just really awkward." How they're trying to make this bunny so sexy? This is weird. And then you watch Space Jam: A New Legacy, and she is just, she is fucking bread. She she has yeah. no personality. It and seems like there's gonna be something at first with the whole Wonder Woman intro. Yeah, and like, she's this kind of striving warrior, mm-hmm. always trying to better herself or whatever. But then they don't. But they it, bec- don't do it becomes with it. the the empty corporate Yas Queen version of Lola, whose only reason, only reason why she's helping them is because LeBron has a son, and she's like, oh no. LeBron needs help for me to get her son, get his son, and it's like, what? you're not you gonna don't help. Have any personal investment. You're not gonna help your friends who are asking <laughs> you. Is is like is it, I was like I was like is Warner Brothers telling me that Lola's maternal instincts are the reason why? <laughs> like is this is this become even more sexist uh, to a degree? <laughs> like yeah. what is happening? Because after Lola becomes a part of the team, Zendaya who has 
nothing to work with. Like, if you just look up Lola Bunny quotes Space Jam A New Legacy, most of her quotes are, get him, LeBron. Here's the ball, LeBron. Yeah. Pass me the ball, LeBron. Well, Alley-oop, LeBron. Like, it's yeah. all just Well, and I don't nothing. know that it, that it would have made much of a difference given the writing, but what makes it a little bit sadder is that, uh, what's her name? Kath, uh, uh, Susie? Yeah, Catherine Susie. Yeah, she had recorded all of her dialogue I for Lola. That. And oh. then for unknown reasons, they switched over to Zendaya. Yeah, because I know well, that... unknown reasons probably being Zendaya's a bigger name. But yes. that's but really sad. That's that's so unfortunate. And that's yeah. so rude. Yeah. And it's it's so weird to think that, like... I mean, there's something about the fact that in back in action, you know, Dante and Billy West fought so much that, like, while it is a shitty thing to replace Billy West, like... At that point, like they didn't replace they didn't replace Billy West because of like we have this new big star who just needs to be Bugs Bunny. Yeah, they picked they a guy. Along and... They literally got the successor of Mel Blanc to be Bugs Bunny. <laughs> yeah. So of course they, to a degree, might have punched up in yeah. their mind. Instead of getting ex young celebrity to yeah. play bland Lola, who Zendaya is a oh, great Zend- actress. Yeah, I like great, Zendaya a lot, but she's clearly the the you know kind of. Yeah. obvious, bland, empty-hearted choice here. And it you just... Know, she, she's the Tom Holland being fan-casted in everything choice. Yeah. And it just sucks, though, because like, like, Catherine Susie is a great voice actress, and it would have been cool to actually see her do non-sexy Lola. Yeah. Because she really hasn't had a chance. Because, <laughs> I mean, while I love Kristen Wiig's interpretation in the Looney Tunes show, it's been now 25 years mm-hmm. since she was Lola. And she hasn't really had a shot to do yeah. it otherwise. And it's like, you know, yeah, it, it's one thing to not bring her back. But, like, man, that sucks that she literally did the entire film, recorded all of her lines, and then they're yeah. like, yeah, let's do Zendaya. It's also weird, too, that, like, Malcolm D. Lee, at the same time he was kind of bringing up, like, Pebble Le Pew is, is canceled. We're not putting him in this film. He's gross. Yeah. They're making a big deal about, like, watching Lola Bunny the original Space Jam, because Malcolm D. Lee, I think, outright said, like, he's not a fan of the original. <laughs> he never watched it, because he was just old enough that he just yeah. wasn't his, it wasn't in his demographic. Yeah. But he watched the original with his daughters, and he was just surprised at how overly sexualized Lola yeah. was. So, like, we're just not going to make her that sexualized. And then when people backlashed at him, he's like, does it really matter if the rabbit has yeah, boobs that's, that's kind and of is over-sexualized? Like, what? saddest part about the discourse around yeah, this, who... this movie is just how much of it has been dominated by, oh, man, they ruined Lola. It's like, yeah, they, they I guess they did because she's a nothing character, but her being she was desexualized already a nothing character. is not ruining the character. She's, I mean, it's. I think both versions of Lola are awful for different reasons. <laughs> yeah. Where it's like, I think in the original film, it's awful because she's just... A, she's just she, a piece of meat for everyone to ogle at. Yeah, and she's horny for bugs. Yeah, it's like the whole thing is like, it's like if someone, like an exec at WB, was like, "We need bugs to fuck something in Space Jam. What do we get?" And we're like, "How about a sexy bunny?" Yeah, signed. Let's do it. Right. Animated into the film right now. While well, as in Space Jam: A New Legacy, it's like, we need to change Lola. How about an empty girl boss archetype? Perfect. Yeah. How about we just make Zendaya the the voice because she's a hit actress? And then what you get is a performance where you go, wow, 
she just sticks out like a sore thumb. <laughs> like a every movie, time, in a movie that yeah, is like, a sore thumb. In a, in a film where like every Looney Tune is like a, a seasoned voice actor or an up and coming that's becoming a seasoned voice actor, you just have Zendaya, and it's like you don't need to be here. Why are you here? <laughs> like why? And then you get to the biggest one of the biggest offenses of the film is uh, <laughs> the the final game is not only an hour. It's a two-hour film, and half the game, half the film is the game. Yeah, it's not even basketball. Yeah, it's it's uh, fake NBA Jam. Yeah, it's, uh, it's LeBron's it's kids video game Dom that he invented, Ball. which is Dom Ball, which is yeah, kind of this NBA Jam knockoff. That's you know, there's yeah. style points and stuff. And to be honest, I don't really care about. I mean, a lot of people were mad at this movie because. Well, they they don't play real basketball. Yeah, it's no, like okay, I, Space Jam. They didn't play real basketball. They had superpowers. I no, I'm more frustrated but with the fact just, that the film establishes in that half out in that like halfway mark yeah. that this is not real basketball. Mm-hmm. Yet LeBron, for the first two parts of like the first two, first like the half, first half yeah. of the game, is just like we gotta play this like real basketball, yeah. motherfucker. There's power ups and you can <laughs> bounce the ball Everyone off the wall. Everyone has acknowledged that this is not basketball. The goon squad is a man that is fire and water, a, la- a spider lady, a boa, like an anaconda lady, yeah, and a, and robot a bird can, man, and a robot who can stop time. Yeah, and a, yeah, and a robot who can stop time, and Anthony Davis as a bird. Like, <laughs> what exactly do you think real basketball is gonna do? And it takes him way too long to realize. And it's so weird, too, because right before the game starts, there's a point of contention between Bugs and LeBron where Bugs is like, no, you just let us be loony and we'll find a way to win the game. And LeBron's like, no, you got to play it like me. You got to play it my game. And then at one point, Bugs says, oh, I see. You're that kind of king. And it goes nowhere. For at least another 20 to 25 yeah. minutes until they're down a thousand points. <laughs> and then they go, all right, Bugs, we'll do it your way. And then they <laughs> they make up the time. <laughs> and then it's silly. And then it, like, it's, and even the Looney Tunes stuff, well, the Looney Tunes stuff in the second half of the game is uh, not exactly, you know, top-tier Looney Tunes shit. It's still like... There's some fun goofy gags that are thrown in there. And, yeah. Well, I don't understand. Yeah, like why Daffy's the fucking coach. Like that feels so out of place. Right. Yeah. At the same time, I am glad that like we get a little bit of Looney, but at the same time, we get shit like Porky Pig rapping. We yeah. get yeah, the notorious Pig. Oh yeah. We also get Granny becoming the one yeah, and fighting off against the time and, yeah, yeah. And chronos and we Ugh. get all these awkward moments and we also get the fact that like in in the game in on the game he uh lebron plays against dom his son mm-hmm. and what's crazy about that is that dom doesn't understand that if they lose the game or if lebron loses the game he's trapped in there yeah like, like Dom's like, Dad, you're such a stick in the mud. This is just a game. And it's like, motherfucker, are you not listening? Right. Are you not paying attention to what's going on? <laughs> and, <sighs> and then it takes him way too... It's, it's not until Al, LG Rhythm is mean to him where he's like, you're right, Dad. LG's rude. <laughs> I'm going to play on the Toon Squad. And it's yeah. like, well, it took you 40 minutes to figure that out, you mm-hmm. idiot. <laughs> and then, like... 
And then at the end, you get like you know, you get Don Cheadle becoming Big Cheadle, oh, and yeah, it's Cheadle. and it's oh, kind it's of terrifying. he's horrifying. It's like it's good CGI, but it's also just terrifying. It's that that actually is like Uncanny Valley stuff. It's like it's like the modern kind of a modern version of like the rock in the end of mummy returns when he's the scorpion king yeah. where it's like what or yeah it's like that's not a little that's not dom but it's kind of it's, hulked out yeah, don Cheadle. it's like don Cheadle's voice is coming out of that but it doesn't look like don Cheadle's that robot yeah. no let's just see oh, that's so weird why is he so buff and so big <laughs> yeah and, and it's then, weird that his face is exactly the same they didn't really change his face at all but it's a full cgi don Cheadle face so yeah. it's like yeah, it's just it's riding that line where it just doesn't work. Like ILM, Industrial Light and Magic worked on this film. <laughs> like it's insane to think like, you know, the just the pioneer for like modern effects almost every time they get a chance. 150 million dollars goes into this film <laughs> and it just looks just so over the top and not in a good way yeah and it also doesn't help that like the background is cg the floor is cg but all the courtside people are real and they're over yeah. the top and they distract well, and every not only time. are they real but they're like really lazy cheap cosplay versions of the characters yeah. that they're supposed to be so it's like they you, stick out like a sore thumb because they look like the Party City version of the characters yeah. you know you get Pennywise you get the Droogs from A Clockwork Orange you get Arnold Schwarzenegger, Mr. Freeze from Batman and Robin. You it's, get it's. We should clarify. It's not actually Arnold Schwarzenegger. It's just some random dude dressed pretending. up as Arnold Schwarzenegger's version of Mr. Freeze. It feels like being on like Hollywood Boulevard or like being next to the China Chinese theater in like yeah. All and you the, get all those people yeah, dressed up times like twenty. Yeah, they're like all there all the impersonators and stuff. I like watching it the first time with Adam and then watching it a second time with you. There were just moments where I could not help but look behind the scenes where it's like people are talking people have some conflict but i couldn't care less because the background is so distracting <laughs> i can't stop yeah. looking at what the fuck that's supposed to be because i think you brought it up too when we were watching it it's like yeah there's like a discount mr freeze from batman and robin and then you know like every iteration of like a villain from like a film shows up in the background of courtside yeah. seats of batman but then there's also just like a fucking pirate yeah, like a like random pirate. Just a ri yeah, random pirate. Yeah, for a second I was like, oh, it's Pirates of the Caribbean. Wait a yeah. minute. Wait a minute. That's not a Warner Brothers Yeah, so you get like a flying monkey, but then you like see a chick in the back, and it's like, she kind of looks like Alice in Wonderland, but that's also Disney. What the yeah. fuck is this? And you just like, you can't help but be distracted by how much they're throwing at you. Yeah. It is sensory overload. Yeah. The, <laughs> it like, is wild. The game sequence definitely, like it gave me a headache. Yeah. Um, and yeah, it's just yeah, to more to the the CGI. It's like it's good rendering. It's yeah. detailed CGI, but it's just it's that that kind of overwhelming and and just too many things happening at once and also just like you know, I guess when you have LeBron and other real people around, it just looks that much more wrong, especially Don Cheadle cuz he's he was literally Don Cheadle a second ago, and now he's completely CGI Don Cheadle with yeah, big muscles. Big yeah, and it's just a lot of weird choices that they they just weren't helping themselves it with also, any of that. Yeah, and it doesn't help that like they put 
the Looney Tunes into the third dimension. They give them all these fur physics. They give them these new designs that are supposed to feel like next gen to a degree. And yeah. like, are they awful? No, but I never ever want to see them like that ever again. <laughs> like it feels like at a point, like in the film, it almost feels like it's like a, offensive to make them 3D. Where it's like it's almost like algae rhythm is like almost making fun of them by putting them into a plane that they're not used yeah, to. Like makes, dimension. Yeah, when they go back to 2D at the end, they're all, like, shaking it off, like, Ugh, ugh yeah. finally back to normal. But, like, in the film, it's also trying to be like, oh, isn't this cool and high-tech? Wouldn't you want to see this again? And it's like, <laughs> no, not really. I would just like to see the Looney Tunes be Looney the Looney Tunes. Tunes. Yeah. And, and it also doesn't help that, like, at the very end, they they beat the game because they, they find a glitch in Dom's game and Bugs sacrifices himself to do the glitch and they win the game but then Bugs no joke here Bugs Bunny dies yeah he <laughs> sacrifices treated, his life they're treated as if it's like a serious moment and then not even not even five fucking minutes after he dies he just shows up in the real world yeah he's like hi I'm here doc you can't get rid of me now I'm just here yeah his explanation is uh yeah, you can't I, kill you can't a tune. Kill, kill me, I'm a tune, and it's yeah. like, okay, well, fair enough. But yeah, how, how the fuck do you have the Sorgo voice? Yeah, how did, how did you do that? Yeah, we we established that you were not living inside the Earth; you were living in a computer. So, yeah. uh, explain that one to me. Like when the when the funniest when the funniest joke in your two hour film is LeBron dabbing while, while saying, saying dab saying dab while he dabs. And it's only funny because it's so unfunny that it loops back around to being funny in a weird way. That's the kind yeah. of film this is. Did you, like, say, did you say dad can't dab? Dab. dab. And it's, like, it's funny because it's like, I cannot believe that just happened. Yeah. It's also like weirdly, it's, it's one of the few times where it feels like LeBron is really embracing the chaotic energy. Yeah. That you need to bring to a, lo- a Looney Tunes that's movie. A, that's another thing, too, that's wild. It's like... LeBron in Trainwreck is genuinely good. Like, that yeah. is a film that is a Judd Apatow film, basically. I mean, did he direct? I, I thought, I thought Schumer. Either Schumer or Judd. Either Schumer herself directed it or Judd directed it. But in Trainwreck, like, he has improv moments and he's it funny. Judd Apatow. Yeah, it's funny. He's in a Judd Apatow film and he holds his own with yeah. Bill Hader and Amy Schumer. <laughs> yeah. Like, that's good for him. And then in Space Jam, The New Legacy, he sucks. Yeah, I think it might just, just be, not like, funny. overwritten. I think it's also... I mean, it's, just, it's a movie written by committee, clearly. But Oh, God, yeah. It's also clear that, like, he shouldn't have been the serious, emotional protagonist in the film. Yeah. Which is what he is. In all honesty, like, he feels like, like he should be in, like, a Little Rel Howery bit. Where it's like, you know how Little Rel Howery in his films, like, even though he's in Space Jam, A New Legacy... And, you know, good for him to get that paycheck. Oh, yeah. I appreciate that. But, like, you know how, like, in Get Out, Little Royal Howery is, like, the comedic relief to a degree. Yeah, yeah, And I yeah. think that's, like, LeBron does best. Like, and that's what also makes it funnier is the fact that we have a NBA superstar <laughs> who is, like, the, the comedic best friend. Right. And he plays it really well. And, like, he's charismatic in interviews. Like, he's he's a charismatic, outgoing guy that people say is really personable. But in film, when he has to be, like serious mean dad who has to learn that you know maybe his son wants to do anything other than basketball yeah it just rings hollow 
Yeah. And just leads to a film that, honest to God, Andy, I gave it on Letterboxd like a two out of five. Thinking about it, I'm, I give it one and a half. <laughs> I fucking just I like... I give it every, a two out of five. I just, every time I think about this film, it makes me tired. And it yeah. makes me frustrated that the first one feels like it does it a hundred times better in places than it does <laughs> in this. Even though that film does the bare minimum. Yeah. Like, it does more than this film does. And by the time the film ends, it's like, well, there can't be another one, right? Like, they kind of just killed Space Jam. Yeah. Like, altogether, there's nothing else he could really do. Right. Like, I mean, sure. Like Malcolm maybe, D- maybe it's time for Spy Jam. Maybe, maybe we finally... Maybe it's maybe we'll do what Malcolm D. Lee said he wants to do and bring in The Rock and do Wrestling Jam. Uh, yeah. But, like, it's like... Also, if, one, one thing about the, the, the proposed Jam sequels, why are we ignoring the fact that Space Jam, the basketball element of the title, was the jam? <laughs> Not the space. No, is, the space was about space. No. So why is Spy Jam, a movie about a martial arts spy, why does it have jam in the title? Skate Jam. Why does it have jam in the title? <laughs> <Yes. laughs> like... Honestly, I, I I listened to another podcast that talked about New Legacy, and they're like, why the fuck isn't this cyberspace jam? Yeah. And it's like, honestly, honestly, that would have... Cyberspace jam. That title is dated as fuck, but this film feels dated as fuck, so it would have been yeah. perfect. The New Legacy feels like a dead end. Yeah, because what is the New Legacy? Yeah, there is like, no New like Legacy. The like, New Legacy is... Yeah. Oh, we made another Space Jam movie, and it's with LeBron this time. Yeah, he's Le- the new legacy. And LeBron and LeBron already has a legacy. Right, it's right. not new at all to any no. of us. Yeah, like LeBron is truly the big enough superstar that we, Andy and I, who do not watch NBA, know exactly who LeBron <laughs> is and know what he's known for. Both controversies, both controversies, and yeah, his like talents and all. It's like a title it's, clearly picked to just mark. Oh. Yep, we made an uh, we revive in Space Jam. Yeah, and it just the fact that this is what Warner Brothers thinks that the Looney Tunes are good for. It's just it's yeah. so it's so offensive to the Looney Tunes. <laughs> <laughs> like in all honesty, like you said very early on in this episode, where it's like it's very clear that like the best way to do this is to either cut out the human characters, or even better yet, have most of the film be in Looney Tunes world or Toon world. And have the lead be a tune as well. Yeah. I just make this a mainly animated film. Because it is kind of frustrating, too, that, like, in Space Jam 1 and in Back in Action, you have Warner Brothers Animation Company, like, group, who makes, like, it's the same team that, like, I think ultimately makes Iron Giant. Yeah. Like, Cats Don't Dance, which that movie, I think, slaps. But it's <laughs> been a while since I've seen that one. And, and in this, you have Warner Animation Group, who is the same production company working with ILM, and this production company did the Lego films. Not only did they do the Lego films, also they did films that, like, in that same vein are, like, making fun of other properties that are owned by Warner Brothers and doing it a thousand times better. (laughs) And it just sucks that, like, Warner Animation Group, which I think has so much of, like, the potential to be, like, not as big as like Dream, like DreamWorks, or even not even close to Disney, no. because that takes years and decades of just right, like right, right. chugging through. But I think like there's so much talent at Warner that just isn't being used in the yeah. fact that they just don't even know what they're doing makes Put it even sadder. In, yeah. And but at the same time, though, you know, if you don't have HBO Max, now you do. We got a new legacy. <laughs> 
You know, if, if you got HBO Max to watch New Legacy, you fell into their trap. It's the only reason why they wanted you to get there it. There you go. You fell into it. But you know what? HBO Max is actually kind of tight. It is. It's. it's kind of, I think I've been using it more than any other streaming service yeah, lately. Just because there's a lot of stuff. It's all. It's mostly backlog content. Oh, yeah. Kind of like Disney Plus was when it started. But, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's still there, a lot of stuff that I never got around to yeah. or, you know. Andy won't say it out loud. He's a, he's a bit embarrassed, but he's a big Titans fan, so he's super excited for season three. <laughs> yes, this is true. I just couldn't get enough on the Listen, CW. That's not even, me saying that's not to. even a fraction about you giving my mom shit. So don't even. Don't oh, your even. mom, your your jerk of a mom <laughs> with terrible pizza taste. <laughs> keep... Well, that's those are your words. I'm no. just repeating them. <laughs> not no they're not why do you do this to me <laughs> every time i try to jab a little bit you stab me <laughs> it's not okay and with that said that is the theatrical looney tunes trilogy the best way to say it is it's space jam is exactly how you remember it if you never watch back in action and you love the looney tunes give that a shot and don't even watch space jam 2 if you're just like <laughs> remotely worried it's not going to be good because yeah. it's not i would say it's not yeah good. i would say all of these perfectly skippable movies but like if you want something looney tunes that that works well and honors the looney tunes watch back in action yeah i mean that's like and even then watching it once is enough and then after that <laughs> like watch the the new looney tunes cartoons because they're all yeah. wonderful and i'm so glad that like those are at least a thing and hopefully they might lead to yeah. other stuff but. It is kind of interesting looking at this trilogy as a whole because we've done this in the past where it's like we feel like, oh, it's interesting to look at this trilogy from the perspective of where the studio or the property was in time when each entry released. We did it with Kung Fu Panda and yeah. where DreamWorks was at. We did it with mm-hmm. uh, with TMNT and where that mm-hmm. property was we at. We kind of did it with Cars a little bit. Yeah, with Cars and where Pixar was at. And it's yeah. like with this, it's just Warner Brothers and their relationship with the Looney Tunes is like in the same place in each film yeah, it's of just, just, it's just probably they different don't know execs. how to use them they're you know they, they're just trying really lazy attempts at making them relevant and it's just not working it's, it's like they're watching all it's the like, old school cartoons they just added on hbo max if you <laughs> haven't seen them yet and they're watching and they're going how do we make that and, rabbit rap yeah. and just <laughs> thinking like, across basically what? well yeah 25 years just stagnant Three different attempts that we've looked at at modernizing or, Mm -hmm. you know, making relevant the the Looney Tunes and kind of the same result every time. I mean, you know, with with fluctuation in quality, but like it's just consistently not getting it. The moral of the story is just make a fucking Looney Tunes movie. Yeah. Like don't make a Looney Tunes film with LeBron or Michael or even Brendan Fraser and Jenna Elfman and Steve Martin. Just like make a film where the Looney Tunes are the main thing. Yeah. And then you can add other actors in or, there to like know, make yeah. some prominence here and there. Yeah. But or, if like, the, or if the episodic format suits them better, promote the, the cartoons. Honestly, Do yeah. Do more cartoons. Promote yeah. those. Put quality into them. You know, if you had that idea of putting them before all your movies, commit to that. You know, yeah. don't come up with a good idea and then abandon it and, you know, give it the minimum minimum attention until it's a bad idea uh, but you know we're just gonna have to wait and see yeah i, I hope at some point because like i think thankfully even though this film made more money in theaters than it had any right to 
Uh, well, it was going to. It's, it was going to, it's yeah. Space Jam but the, and it's LeBron. Know, but at the same time, I kind of hoped that the bad reviews were going to lead to even less money. Yeah. But it is what it is. But yeah. It did have a steep drop off, but everything since yeah. COVID has had a steep drop off. Yeah, that's what happens where it's like people aren't going to rewatch films in theaters as much anymore. They're seeing it once probably in theaters and then maybe buying it on premiere yeah, or if seeing that, it on If HBO not, Max. just watching it at home. I mean, yeah. That's another thing, too, where it's like. I'm, I don't know if they even revealed the metrics, but I would not be surprised if they said, like, Space Jam A New Legacy was, like, their most watched thing in the last yeah, few months. Yeah, that wouldn't be surprising. Where it's, like, most of the viewership came from HBO Max. <laughs> yeah. Because I have, we didn't see it in theaters. Yeah, because I, I know, the, like, Black Widow, Black Widow made almost as much on Disney Plus as it did in theaters. Which is scary according, according and to sad and makes reports. sense. Yeah, but I would not be surprised if Space Jam outperformed the theaters on hbo uh, would Max. not surprise me but um all right we we're done we're not talking about new legacy anymore it's out we've cut that <laughs> off now it's time cut to talk about now yeah now we're talking about the future we're talking about august you see we're talking about our new legacy oh uh, yeah <laughs> what did i just say dab what did i just say <laughs> did you just did you just say andy can't dab i didn't say <laughs> dab <laughs> He did half dab when he did that. That's all yep. everyone to know. But yeah, we are going to take off the first week of August in preparation for some plans and some ideas we have for our year anniversary. Because we're getting close to the uh, first, like yeah, our year, yeah, our first the, year. The third week of August ish is yeah. is when we will have done the podcast for a year, which is. Which is Honestly, awesome. I haven't processed it yet, and I'm, <laughs> I don't think I will until we actually do yeah. what we want to do for that. But well, we can. I guess we can say it's the six month anniversary because uh, 2020 didn't count. But <laughs> <laughs> no, but yeah, that was, that was that was ten comedy points for Andy right Thank there. Caught me off guard. Yeah, no, that he took five, five. Yeah, it took yeah. five away. But um, yeah, uh, in, in honor of that, we have an idea of what we want to do for that. We will talk about that more in the future. Yeah, we'll do a special. But, yes, but in terms of the near future. On the week, the, the 14th, the yeah, Saturday, 14th August the 14th, August. we're going to be coming back with a trilogy that is going to be weird, that is going to be gory, odd to the umpteenth degree, yeah. and is in honor of the latest release from director James Gunn. We are going to be talking about the first three films James Gunn has ever done, which we are going to be calling the Rise of Gunn Trilogy. Yeah, Which we did weird. Rise of Snyder. It's time for Rise of Gun. Yes. And, of course, we're doing this in time with... Or not in time, but... Well, yeah, it'll basically, be, it'll be a little in bit after. season in season yeah. with uh, the, suicide the Suicide Squad, squad which which comes out on the sixth or mm-hmm. the seventh, I think. Which I mean, by the time that comes out, we might have both seen it, so we might talk a little bit about it and like our intro yeah, stuff. We'll, but we'll touch on yeah, it. Yeah, we're but not gonna it, do a full episode on it. Yeah, it's not really gonna have anything yeah. to do with no, what we're talking about. Because what we're gonna be talking about is, if anyone doesn't know, pre Guardians of the Galaxy. Gunn has a very odd career. Mm-hmm. It's mainly screenwriting credits. Actually, we've actually talked about, like Andy said, the Zack Snyder Dawn of the Dead was initially a James Gunn script. He also wrote the scripts for both Scooby-Doo 1 and I think Scooby-Doo Monsters Unleashed. Yeah, both of them. Which I think both were written as like R-rated Scooby-Doo films that were toned down to PG, PG-13. Yeah. And now what we're going to do is we're going to talk about 
three important films in Gunn's career. We're going to be talking about the first film he ever wrote, which is 1997's <laughs> Tromeo and Juliet. Perhaps the most crass and off-putting film of the trilogy. It's, a, it's the first trauma film we're ever going to cover on the show. Yeah. And, and neither of us have seen it. No, but I know trauma, so this is going to be very <laughs> interesting. And then we're going to talk about the first two films he directed, which are Slither yeah. and Super. Yeah, Slither, kind of a cult horror classic, <laughs> horror comedy classic, yes. and Super being kind of a gritty parody of or satire of superhero movies. Which turns into something a lot more dramatic and a lot more interesting yeah. than you can think, but also has some really odd elements to it, oh, yeah. which we will talk about then. But we're going to cover his rise in popularity, his first real credit on a film, as well as his first two directorial debuts before he does Guardians yep. in honor of the Suicide Squad's release. And honestly, I'm super excited because I've seen I've seen Slither and Super. I'm curious to see how Super is after all these years because I remember being <laughs> very much caught off guard by what that film does. And I know that Slither is it's just, a, it's just a barrel of fun yeah. considering what it's trying to do. I've, on, I've only seen pieces of each so i'm interested mm -hmm. to put them all together but uh until then tune in on august 14th when we cover the rise of gun trilogy but until then i'm logan sowash and i'm the notorious pig no sorry i'm i'm andy Carr. <laughs> <laughs> and thank you so much for listening goodbye